If you would, turn the Bible to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. I know we're supposed to be in the Minor Prophets, but um, this week in Ecuador, I didn't have as much time to study and prepare for Zechariah, but I did get to study Revelation 5 quite a bit, and so that's where we're going to be this morning, and then next week we'll be back into the Minor Prophets. So Revelation chapter 5. I do want to say that we had an outstanding trip. You ought to be very, very proud of your church. Our church uh, represents itself so well there, serves the Lord, a true witness to uh, Jesus Christ in going there and in working there. We had a great team. Uh, We served well, um, and we had an outstanding trip. So thank you all for your prayers and your support. Um, But I'm glad to be back recovering and uh, trying to get some rest and Really, really glad to be back with the church. I want to assure you that going on a trip like that is very encouraging, but it is also uh, a refresher on how much I love our church, how much I love you all, um, and how much I think we have a good thing going here with what God is doing. And so it is good to be be back here. Uh, we, We went this year to work a kid's camp, and we did that. It started on Sunday and ended on on Wednesday. It was four day of kid's camp, so we had a day to prepare uh, and get ourselves ready for that, and we worked kids camp all week, and uh, in between doing that, which is, camp is very, very tiring, in between doing that, we got to do a few other things, and uh, one of the things I got to do on Saturday is a few years ago, they got their seminary there on the ground. You have heard us talk a lot about how one of the biggest needs around the world is training for pastors, training for church leaders. It is absolutely at a minimum across the world. Theological training uh, need is a huge need around the world. And so there at Camp Chicalco in Ecuador, they have started a seminary, uh, and it's going really well. And on Saturday, they were having some classes, and I got to go uh, speak to the seminary students. And, and so I, I did a little devotional with them and really just wanted to encourage them. There were about 30 people there in that meeting and uh, in that class. They were taking classes all day. And I got to talk to them and and, and I really just wanted to get into a, a question and answer session with them and see what was on their heart. And really, I wanted to kind of get a pulse for where they were at and see what kind of questions they would be asking. Um, and we only had about 45 minutes. And so I did a devotional with them and then I asked if they had any questions about anything. They asked me four questions. What happens to a baby when it dies? Does it go to heaven or hell? When did the Holy Spirit arrive in Ecuador? That was the second question. Third question was predestination. What can you tell us about predestination? And the fourth question was, if God is the one who saves, why isn't he saving everybody? So after about an hour and a half in our, (laughs) seriously, after about an hour and a half when they had given us 45 minutes, we finished those four questions, or at least tried to finish those four questions But it was really, really encouraging to see those people reading their Bibles, studying their Bibles, and thinking deeply. And if you've ever been around church much, been in Bible studies and in Sunday school classes and things like that, you know that it's those type of questions that come up. I didn't lead them to those questions. I was curious what they were going to ask. But those were the four questions they asked me. I was encouraged by it. Uh, I assured them that if they're going to be leaders for God, they should only speak what this book says. And I cautioned them greatly to not ever try to say what this doesn't say. If the Bible doesn't say it, then don't try to come up with an answer that you think sounds cute or would falsely try to comfort someone. 
Just study this, see what it says, say what it says, and, say, and don't try to say what it doesn't say. And they were encouraged by that, and um, that was a high point for me, being able to be with them. That was on Saturday, and the next day the camp started, and we got super busy. Another thing that I really, really like about going to Ecuador is the singing. We got to go to a couple different church services, and I love, I love to be a part of the singing. You know, they do a lot of songs that we know. Uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, my wife Val and Yosetis did Great Is Thy Faithfulness here in Spanish. You may remember that. Uh, that chorus is O Tu Fidelidad, Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And uh, they sang that song at church on Sunday, so that was great, so I knew that. Uh, they sing a lot of songs that, that we know, but they also sing some songs that I don't know, and I just, I love being there. I love hearing them sing those songs and, and watching them worship, and it reminded me that we can kind of tell a lot about where we're at with our singing. Singing seems to say a whole lot. Each year when we go to Ecuador, I challenge our group to memorize a passage of scripture. And this year, we challenged our whole group to memorize Revelation chapter five, verses nine through 14, those six verses. And it was an encouraging time each week, each night as our group would meet and we would hear each other recite the verses. And that's what we're going to study today, Revelation 5, 9 to 14, if you would look there. These are the songs that come up in heaven. There are songs being sung in heaven, and there are songs that you and I will sing in heaven. And today I want us to look at those songs. What is it about them? What are they saying? What, what do we notice about the songs of heaven? And today I want to give you five observations from the songs in Revelation, from the songs of heaven. Before we get into those songs, though, I do want to remind you that it is not an automatic that you make it to heaven. It is not a given, it is not guaranteed that people go to heaven. We need to remind ourselves of this. Too often we comfort ourselves that people automatically pass away and go to heaven, and this is just not true. It is a comfort that we seek to help ourselves, but that is not right. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is a savior, that he died on the cross for our sins to save us from our sins. When somebody turns to Jesus and says that they believe in him as Lord and Savior, and they ask him for forgiveness of sins, meaning they want to turn away from their sins, that God then forgives them and they are then right with God. And it is not until somebody gets right with God that they are on their way to heaven. And so this is why the Bible commands us and urges us to be about that, to be about helping people come to know Christ because if somebody does not know Christ and therefore the forgiveness of sins and therefore in a right relationship with God, they are not going to heaven. They're not fit for heaven. They would not like it there and they would not go there. So it's important for you to understand that. I need to ask at the beginning, are you ready for heaven? Are you going to heaven? Are you sure of that? Is Christ Jesus, your only hope? Is he your savior? Do you believe in him? Are you seeking him? Do you love him? Is that your comfort? And hopefully you can say, absolutely, yes, I want him. If you're here today and you do not trust Christ, or you don't know if you're going to heaven, please, 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 soon and very soon, 
talk to us about that. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to go to heaven. The Bible also teaches us that hell is a real place. And all of those who do not know Jesus go to hell. All of those who are not forgiven of their sins will be judged by God and condemned to hell. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can trust in Christ. You can be forgiven of your sins. Heaven can be the home for you when you die. And that's what the Bible wants us to understand. And this is what we're going to see today. But you start reading the Bible and there's a lot of singing. You start reading the final book of the Bible, Revelation, and there's a whole lot of singing there from heaven. So read with me, if you will, Revelation chapter 5, and specifically we're going to look at verse 9. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Just a reading of that short chapter will put in perspective so much. It puts in perspective the end of life. It puts in perspective the goal of life. It puts in perspective singing. And I hope you know that one of the main reasons that we come to church on a Sunday is that we can sing together. In his short article, on churches singing, one pastor, Josh Philpot, says, when we sing the great truths of the Bible, we are changed from the inside out. Singing that is triune, meaning about the Trinity, 
is God-honoring, Christ-glorifying, and spirit-filled, singing that is like that, moves out in concentric circles, changing your heart and mind. In turn, this changes us, our families, our churches, and our world. That singing, and specifically what we sing, could be that big of a deal, that it could be that important, that it could be that meaningful. Well, when we read the book of Revelation, even here, chapter five, we gain a lot from what they're singing. And that's what I want us to look at today. Five observations. Number one, the singing there is plural. It is always they. Notice chapter five, verse nine. And they sang. And they sang. This is so important. It's important for us to understand that in heaven, we who are saved will be singing with everybody else that is saved. That opens up a huge box of do you like that? Some of you all don't want to sing here with some of your closest friends. Some of y'all aren't singing because your spouse is standing beside you. Some of you all don't want to sing in case somebody else will hear you. And the Bible makes clear that we're going to be singing in a huge, huge congregation. The Bible makes clear that we're going to be singing with everybody that is redeemed. You know, you hear these stories of people that change churches because they didn't like those people, or they hear these people that sit on this side of church because they don't want to sit on, on, on near those type of people. And I want you to know that when we try to avoid certain people that are redeemed, we're going to one day be singing with them. It's plural. It opens up all of that. It teaches us that we're going to be singing with all sorts of different people. There will be people of every skin color, and there will be people of every language, and there will be people of every accent, there will be people of every worship style, if there even is that. The singing there is plural. It's a lot of people. It's not just you. Well, as we got to thinking about that, it reminded me that in the letters that Paul writes to the churches, he says that singing in church is particularly for each other. We've taught this to you quite a bit. Josh Womble has preached this to us many times. Yes, our worship is worship to God, but one of the key aspects of why we come to church to sing and why it is so different than you sitting on your couch at home singing or washing your dishes at home singing is, is so that we are singing to each other. Certainly for God, but to each other. Listen to just a few verses. Ephesians 5, 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. To the Lord, but addressing each other with it. That God is teaching us that it is a part of what the church does is that I am here singing today, as bad as it might be, for you. Because God does something to you when I sing. And so it is with all of us. 
when a man that you've never heard sing before stands up with the least amount of musical skill and sings out, your mercy is more. I am being strengthened that he knows he's a sinner, but he knows Jesus saves sinners, and he's here today because he believes it. And yet when I look over and you're standing there checking your phone or being quiet as can be, I'm thinking, do you not believe? Is it not true? It's plural. You turn over past Ephesians to Philippians, past Philippians to Colossians, and in Colossians, he writes a very similar thing. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It is his instruction to the church that they sing together. And when you get to Revelation, this is what heaven is about. We will be singing there. And so often when we talk about heaven, and I don't know if you talk much about heaven, we don't talk much about death. And the only time we really wanna talk about death is when we're forced to, when somebody dies and we get around funerals. And really, that becomes the only time that we talk about heaven. And when we start talking about heaven there, we're almost always really, really off when we talk about heaven. Now, I'm okay if we say, I don't know what heaven's gonna be like. I really don't know. I love basketball, and I have no idea if we'll have basketballs in heaven. I don't know. I love food, and I don't know if we're gonna eat in heaven, maybe. But often we say things like, man, he's finally up there now, and I'm sure he's bass fishing and eating him a cheeseburger, right? And what we do when we do that, now that may be true, but we don't know that. What I'm saying is, is what we do when we do that is we have turned heaven very individualistic. We, we are talking about heaven like it's about you. And Revelation is incredibly not that way. Never, ever. There are 22 chapters in Revelation. Go home tonight and this week and read all 22 chapters of Revelation. Never, not once in Revelation, is it ever individualistic. Never about you. Matter of fact, study all of these songs in Revelation. There are so many. The songs aren't even about us. We just sang an awesome song that is very God-centered. My sins, they are many, your mercy is more. You don't even see that much individualism in the book of Revelation. You don't even hear, my sins are many. It doesn't even go that far. It is so much about God and all of the people there worshiping him that you do not find individualism there. Let me warn you and caution you that the next time you talk about heaven, that it would be about God, that it would be comforting to you that somebody is there, but that the point and goal and focus of heaven is God. And we see this with the songs being plural. They sang. Let me ask you here at our first point. Will you be in that group Will you be there singing? Will you join in that choir? Through Christ, may you. Number one, it's plural. Number two, it's called a new song. It's new. Look, Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song. The Bible does this a lot. It's not just a Revelation song that's new. We find that it's common in the Bible to describe the singing toward God as a new song. 
Psalm 33, 3, sing to him a new song. Psalm 43, David says, God put a new song in my mouth. God gave me a new song. Psalm 144, I will sing a new song to you, O God. A new song. And that's what we have in Revelation 5, 9, a new song. What is meant by the newness of it? Well, here it says they sang a new song saying, and then it's, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. When the Bible talks about a new song, it is speaking specifically to the redeeming work that God does in our lives. What is new about it is that you didn't have that song from the beginning. God gave you a new song. You weren't naturally a singer of this song. This is a new song to you, and it came through the saving grace of Christ. So when David says in the Psalms, he gave me a new song, he's meaning that his life has been changed and now he is focused on God. And that song that he now sings is a gift of God. And in heaven, when we see all the saints around the throne singing a new song, it is a song that points directly and particularly to redemption. The new song is the redeeming song. They are about redemption. We have come to know God's worth and glory. The songs of heaven are so focused on God, as I already pointed out, from a group of people. And what you see over and over again are worth and glory. You see this sort of thing, meaning that I wasn't this way and I came to be this way. It is a new knowledge. It is a new life. It is a new heart that results in a new song. That's why everybody likes to sing. We know that. I was doing research on the power of music and the power of song, and y'all know that, right? We've got athletes these days that listen to to music before their uh, sport to get them pumped up. It's it's, It's very common to see an athlete warming up with his headphones on because music does that to him. We have music therapy these days, right? And we know that music is very, very powerful. We have elevator music. We have office music. We have all of these different types of music. We know the power of music, right? But music in and of itself is not about God. Music in and of itself is not worship to God. And you may have liked music for your whole life. You may have the gift of singing. You may be a a music major, right? You may sing with your family at home. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's about God. It isn't about God until you've got the new song. It isn't about God until God has brought your heart to the place where you love Jesus, and now your song is responsive. It isn't worship until it's the new song. And we see this over and over again in the Bible, a new song. Number one, the songs in heaven are plural. Number two, they're new. Number three, they are big. Really, really big. Look what it says in chapter five, verse three. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So the setting there is huge. Right now, they tell us, right now, today, there are over 7 billion people on earth. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. You don't know most of them. Most of them don't know us. 
And out of seven billion, our small little 300 million in America is like a drop in a bucket. I know we are one of the most populated countries in the world. We're not close to being the most populated country in the world, not even close. There are countries that have three, four times as many people as us here in America. There are countries that are way, 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 way bigger population-wise than us. But there are a lot of people on earth, and that is today. It doesn't even begin to get to all that have passed away throughout all the years, through all the centuries, forever back in history, all the people. There's so many. And this chapter in Revelation that sets up a song around the throne in heaven says no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. Nobody anywhere living, dead, in heaven, nobody. That's a big statement, is it not? That's a big statement. Well, what he's talking about is who is worthy. That's the question. Look at verse 11, though. Verse 11 is talking talking about the angels. Well, how many? Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Myriad is a, is a, a number describing thousands upon thousands. Tens of thousands is what myriads is getting to. That's a lot of angels, is it not? And I don't really know how big an angel is. Sometimes we think angels are really small and they might land on your shoulder. Sometimes angels are like the size of a human and they show up, right? We've, we, we read in the Bible of angels that show up like the size of people and look like humans and you can't tell. But there's also passages in the Bible that make us think that angels are like as big as Fairdale because their wings reach out of sight, it says. But this passage says that around the throne in heaven with the singing there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. What a sight. This is a big event. The singing in heaven will be a big event. Well, then look at verse 13. It goes much further. It goes much further than all the people in verses three and four. It goes much further than all the angels in verse 11. It goes in verse 13 to absolutely everything in creation. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, all that is in heaven, all that is on earth, all that is under the earth, all that is even in the ocean, every that God ever made is singing to God in heaven. This is huge. You ever been to a concert before and you're a little too close and you thought it's too loud? You ever been to church before and you thought, hey, it's too loud? I can't imagine what heaven's gonna be like. We will have the perfect ears that will receive it in a beautiful way. It won't be too loud. The batteries won't die. It will be perfect. But it's gonna be so big. You're going to like it if you're there, but it's going to be big. And the bigness of it, the grandeur of it, the vastness of it is to point us to the greatness of God. Oh, it's going to be big. These descriptions here make me think, wow, if it's that big, how big must God be? If it's that big, how great must God be? If there are gonna be that many people there and that many creatures there and that many angels there, how deserving must he be? 
You remember when there's like a huge event and people talk about how many people show up for it? Y'all remember a few years ago when Muhammad Ali died and they showed his uh, funeral service on TV and they even showed the like pathway of the hearse that carried him. You remember that? And it drove down West Louisville and it drove past his childhood home, right? Showed all of that on TV and then they had his, his uh, funeral service there at the Yum Center. You remember that? You remember how many people were there and how many people showed up? Presidents showed up and celebrities showed up and we were thinking, man, how huge of a figure must Muhammad Ali be for that many eyes, that many people to show up at that that event, that funeral. Well, folks, Revelation 5, God's word is showing us that when God ends it all and gets all of the attention and focus on him, every single thing will worship him. Boy, will that be a song. That'll be a big song. Your dog will sing to God. The whales will sing to God. The parrots will sing to God. The trees will worship God. Every created thing, every angel, every human, this is big. And you don't want to miss it. Through Christ, you will not miss it. Number one, it's plural. Number two, it's a new song. Number three, it's a big song. Number four, it's deep. This is a heavy chapter, is it not? We have words in, in Revelation like worth and slain and blood and ransomed. This is the subject of this. See, when I talked about heaven being individualistic, I also could have said that we've made heaven very plain, haven't we? When you read Revelation 5, were y'all thinking anything about, are they gonna have pizza there? No, that wasn't on my mind. When I hear them ask, is there anything in heaven or on earth or under the earth that is worthy to approach the throne of God? Does pizza or basketball come to your mind? No. I don't give a flip if there's gonna be basketball there, and I mean that. Not one bit. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be glorious. And when the Bible wants us to understand how huge it is, it must get to deep stuff. There is doctrine here. There is no heaven apart from the crucified Christ. It is here in Revelation 5. There is no heaven apart from the humanity of Christ. The Bible describes him here as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the Bible describes him here as the lamb who was slain. That is deep. That means he is unstoppable like a lion and nothing can stop him, and it means he is vulnerable like a human, and he was crucified on the cross. All of this is here. It's deep. You could spend the rest of your life studying Revelation 5 and not exhausted because it's loaded. This is a deep chapter. It's a deep book, it's a deep concept that God is on his throne and one day he will get every human before him to worship him and only those who have been forgiven of their sins through him sending his son to die will be saved. That's deep. That's so deep that many people don't believe it. Many people reject it. 
I want you to know that God loves us and literally sent this book to us as humans that we might know him. And one of the things that is absolutely compelling to us to make me want to know him is Revelation 5 and how glorious it is. When I hear that he is worthy, when I hear that we will sing that he's worthy, I feel my heart being drawn to it to say, yes, he's worthy. When I hear that we were ransomed, like it says there, by his blood we were ransomed, a debt was paid, a deal was made, a peace treaty was sealed, that it happened between God and his son that Jesus paid it all for our sins on the cross so that we would not have to suffer for our sins and face the judgment. When I see all of that happening there, it makes me think, wow, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I want to be about, about you. You're worthy. And then, the deepness of it, in describing his worth, it gets into all of these descriptive words, all these adjectives. And it seems to try to exhaust just how worthy he is. In verse 12, it says, seven words. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive, okay, to receive what? Well, really, everything amazing that you can think of, everything authoritative that you can think of, everything leader and big and number one and boss and supreme and superior and divine that is deserving of God who is worthy is said here. You are worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. In the very next song, it says, blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. Man, that's deep. All of our lives revolve around those types of things. Power, all of us have different levels of power. Wealth, all of us have different levels of wealth. Wisdom, all of us have different levels of wisdom. Might, all of us have different levels of strength. Honor, all of us are navigating this life trying to be honorable, and give honor and show honor, glory and blessings. All of those things in their realest, fullest, purest sense are God's. All of those things understood rightly are God's. All of those things demonstrated well are just a picture of what God is like. And in heaven, that will be so clear to us. There will not be any wealth or wisdom or power or might or glory or honor or blessing. There will not be any of that that you want anymore. It will be so obvious that it's all God's. And you will like that. That's deep. And heaven is the way things ought to be. Heaven is when everything's right. And everything's good, pure, and true. And we'll be about it. And what it means to live the redeemed life now is to live on earth as it is in heaven. Haven't you prayed that before? Haven't you prayed before? on earth as it is in heaven? Didn't Jesus teach you that in the modeled prayer? Haven't coaches forever led their teams in that prayer on earth as it is in heaven? Well, as it is in heaven is power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing is all yours, God. And so power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in our lives today should be, it's all yours, God. 
Every dollar you make, every pat on the back you get, every bit of honor shown to you is God's. It's deserving of God. He is worthy of it. And heaven never, ever mistakes that. It cannot mistake that. This is about you, God. This is about you. How dare anybody start talking or thinking about heaven and try to turn it back around to giving us some individual power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. It doesn't make sense. You've been in a conversation before where the focus was clearly on that and somebody being out of their mind and just not very self-aware starts talking all about themselves and everybody in the room's kind of like, man, they're making it all about them. Nobody wants to make it all about them in heaven. It's about him. And man, it's better that way. It's good that way. He's worthy of it. Now that's deep, but it's true. One more thing about deep. One of the best ways to understand what something is is to talk about what it's not. To see the opposite will help you see the the real. The opposite of deep is shallow. Folks, we don't want to be shallow Christians. We don't want to be those who say we know God but we don't know him. They say we love God but we don't know what that means that say we're saved, but we don't know what that means. To say you are a Christian is to mean that you're saved, and to mean that you're saved is to imply that a lamb was slain for your sins. It was his blood that took that. A man crucified on the cross had to happen. We cannot play around with that. We cannot make light of that. We do not joke about that. That is deep. And to not be deep on any level is to be shallow, and we don't want to be shallow. Heaven will not be shallow at all. Everyone there will understood, will understand the deep, 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 deep cost that it took for us to get there. God giving his son out of love. The songs in heaven are plural, they're new, they're big, they're deep, and lastly, they are incredibly God-centered. I said that with it being deep, and I said that with it being big, and I said that with it being plural. They're clearly all about God. In chapter four, there's a song in verse eight, and it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is very God-centered. In chapter four, verse 11, they say this, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. Anything about us yet? Nope, not at all. In chapter nine, that's what we've been reading. I mean, chapter five, verse nine, that's what we've been reading, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 12. Chapter 5, verse 13. There's more songs. There's more in Revelation 7. There's more in Revelation 11. There's more in Revelation 12. I want to read to you the one in Revelation 15. Here's what it says. Great. Oh, and in Revelation 15, verse 3. It's, it's tying it now with the song of Moses, which you can go back to Exodus 15. You can go back to Deuteronomy 34 and see the songs of Moses, the victory songs, how God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And in the book of Revelation, it is tying in to the salvation that he gave the people in the Old Testament with the salvation that comes in Christ for all. 
It says this, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. There are literally so many songs in the book of Revelation, songs of heaven, and you cannot find us there except that we're the ones singing them. We stop referring to ourselves. We stop being self-centered. It is incredibly God-centered. So in closing, we have to ask, are you ready for that? Which songs are your favorite? The ones that make you feel good because they're all about you? The ones that you didn't realize until today that they're pretty shallow? The ones that don't say anything about God? They're really just all about you? If you start looking, there are a lot of songs we sing that all they talk about is us. You have to be careful not to sing those, or not to sing them too often. We want to sing songs that are about God. Because as I read that quote from the article earlier, when we sing, God is changing us by the truths that we sing. Could it be that perhaps generation after generation is being discipled by terrible songs? We know we're into music. It's pretty common these days to see teenagers walking around their daily lives with their earphones in. I've seen teenagers come to church and sit through church the whole time with their earphones in. Now, we don't know if their music is on or not. And what is that music saying them? Is it music about our great big God and truths like Revelation? Are they songs of heaven that are preparing them for that? Or are they so far from those deep truths and therefore they're being developed and discipled and mentored through things that aren't true? Music does a lot for us. Our songs are reflective. But the songs of heaven are absolutely something to study. They're plural, they're new, they're big, they're deep, and they are incredibly God-centered. I want to close with this story about Sevilla Martin. You may have heard of her. She says, early in the spring of 1905, so about 114 years ago, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. We contracted a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nigh 20 years. Her husband also was an incurable cripple. So she's bedridden and he's a cripple. He had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. He's crippled, she's bedridden for 20 years. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day, while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it. Miss Doolittle's response was simple, quote, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired the imagination of Dr. Martin. And from that, the hymn, His Eyes on the Sparrow, was started. It's one of my favorite hymns. 
It's more of a Methodist hymn than it is a Baptist hymn, but that doesn't matter to me. The song says, why should I feel discouraged? And why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. You can learn a lot about yourself. You can learn a lot about your church by what you sing. And the book of Revelation has done us a huge favor in giving us a small look of what it's gonna be like in heaven. I pray that you're a singer to God. I pray that you are ready for heaven. And I pray that you're wanting to live every day now on earth as it is in heaven. That only comes through a real relationship with the Lord Jesus. May we commit ourselves to him now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the songs of heaven. They help us, God. They help us so very much. Lord, we pray that you would make us a singing people that sing with others, that sing the new song, that sing big, big, big ideas, that sing deep truths, and that sing about you. Father, thank you for teaching us through your word. May we recommit ourselves to Christ this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.